Are you ready? Yes. Are you sure you're ready? Yes. All right, let's do this this morning. Last week we considered that since it seems pretty clear that we're getting ready for the Lord to come and meet us in the air, that we need to make some last minute preparations because we're getting ready to go to the Father's house. <laughs> and every trip has certain elements, as we made last week, I made the point last week, that are specific to the time right before the departure. And so we made note that there were some last minute preparations for us to employ and things we needed to be prepared for for times such as these are a couple uh, that we'll mention and then one will launch us into our time for today. We need to remember and be prepared for the fact that things are going to get way worse and then way better forever. Yes. Now, we also noted that the church will become more needed but less wanted. And again, we see the world turning against the church today, even in our own country where the church was greatly respected uh, by families for many, many years. And we made the point parents for years sent their kids to church on the Sunday school bus, even if they didn't go themselves. Now, we also made mention of the fact that like with any upcoming trip or vacation, we're looking forward to in a time of rest and uh, uh restitution, so to speak, of our bodies, we needed to remember that the closer we get to our departure, the more expectant and excited we should be. We are getting ready to go home. These are exciting times to live in. And we noted last week that when a vacation or a great trip seems to be approaching, it begins to consume our thoughts. We can't think about anything else except we're getting ready to go to a place we love or have longed to go for and check out. The hassles of life seem less important, and boy, are there a bunch of hassles today. The only thing you can think about is something is going to change very soon. Now, we are getting closer to that twinkling of an eye moment where we are supernaturally translated into the presence of God and will be with him forever. And I want to continue with our theme this morning in our time and recognize that while the expectation and excitement level is rightfully growing for our soon coming departure, there are still last minute things we need to do. So therefore, what our title is rightfully so this morning and needs to be remembered not just now, but always, but I would say especially now, and that is that we are, and here's our title, Salt and Light. We are Salt and Light. Now, we have mentioned in the past that salt uh, represents the church's purifying and preserving influence on the world via the Holy Spirit working through believers. And we note that light represents truth. It is a metaphor for righteousness and even enlightenment in the sense of the eyes of our understanding being opened and biblical understanding is the enlightenment that is in view. Now King David said this in Psalm 34, 3 to 5, Who may ascend to the hill of the Lord or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Then the psalmist says in 43.3, O send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your tabernacle. Listen, may I remind you this morning, we have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And because of Jesus, our hands are clean. 
And because he has imputed his righteousness to us, our sin account has been paid in full, and therefore we can ascend through the righteousness of Christ to the hill of the Lord, and the Lord is going to come and get us very soon, and we're going to ascend to the God who has saved us. Until then, we have been commissioned by God to be the salt and light of the world, to be led by his word, even when we're less and less wanted, and even when we're hated by all for his name's sake. So let's ask the Lord's blessing on our time together this morning and that this helicopter would go away. Father, we are grateful again for your word today. Thank you that you have given us, as your word says, all things pertaining to life and godliness. And that means we have all that we need in all seasons of church history, even right up until the end. So Lord, would you remind us of what our task is in times such as these, certainly all the time, but especially right now where the days are darkening and light is more needful than ever, where the world is decaying and a preserving influence of the church is needful now more than ever. Speak to us and remind us, we pray, and give us ears to hear what your Spirit is saying. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, three things this morning that I'll remind you of concerning being salt and light in these last days. And the first is this. Listen this morning. We are not here to save the world. We are here to save souls. We're not here to save the world in the sense of making everything better for everybody. We are here to save souls. And listen this morning. I'm going to move in close on some issues today. Are you ready? We are not here to be marching in solidarity with the world. We live our lives in solidarity with the Word of God. And 1 John 2.17 says, The world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides for how long? Forever. Things are changing in our world today. And I ran across a couple of videos and a couple of articles this week I thought worthy of reminding us of how dramatically things have changed. Now, I've said in the past, you know, I love animals. They taste great. I don't eat cats and dogs. Amen. I love cats and dogs. Uh, We've been a dog household for all of our uh, time together. But I saw an interesting video of a group of young people who were a vegan animal rescue group. And they snuck into a chicken processing facility. And, of course, anything like that's going to be kind of gross. Right? We can admit to that. It's kind of yuck and all that. But this group decided they were going to save the chickens. And so their decision was, as you know, these processing plants hang the animal by their feet and the conveyor goes around and goes through the process to make it into something that we would cook and eat. So they decided we're going to pull the chickens down and we're going to lock ourselves to the conveyor with bicycle locks. These big hoop bicycle locks and they did exactly that. They pulled the chickens down and they locked their necks to the conveyor belt that hung over their heads. Well, I watched this whole process because they snuck into the processing plant. Nobody knew they were there, and an employee went and hit the on button while all of their necks were in these bicycle locks, and one poor kid forgot his key. 
So everybody else got out of the lock and away from danger right away. But this one kid got his head stuck against a post and it almost took his head off. He was almost decapitated to save chickens. Chickens are awesome. Fried, baked. I mean, they're great and all those things. But some people today, it just seems like, you know, we, we, we can let babies die in the womb, but we have to save the chickens. We can save trees, uh, or we need to save trees, but we can let humans perish inside the womb to the tune, tune of 43.2 million in 2019 alone. CNN, a trusted news source to somebody somewhere, reported this week on the Kenosha, Wisconsin riots that the fiery riots were mostly peaceful. And the picture was of a news reporter with the town on fire behind him talking about how peaceful the protesters were. And the fact is this group has no clue what news actually is. They're basically a propaganda machine and the thinking of so many in the world today is outside of fact or reality. And sadly, here's why I share these things with you. There is a point to this, talking about chicken producing factories and all that. You're probably thinking, how in the world are you going to get a spiritual application out of that? Well, here we go. So neener, neener. Listen. Many Christians have jumped on the social justice bandwagon, but that's not why we're here. We are here to tell people about Jesus. We are here to see souls rescued from death. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 27 to 28, Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him. Is not the fear of the Lord the beginning of wisdom and knowledge as well, who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Listen, hell in the Bible is not representative of life without Christ, though life without Christ is a living hell. It's a literal place. It's called the Lake of Fire. And you see it uh, recorded in detail, a place of torment in the book of Revelation and elsewhere. Listen, people are headed for hell without Jesus Christ. And some Christians are more worried about chickens than lost souls. Listen, you still here? Some Christians are more worried about the environment than lost souls. Some Christians are more worried about income equality than lost souls. And some Christians have put more effort into destroying the president than fighting the devil. And we are not here for those other causes. We are here to fight the devil and rescue lost souls. Now, Proverbs 24, 11, and 12, which I look at as the Old Testament foundation for the New Testament Great Commission, where Proverbs says in 24, 11, and 12, deliver those who are drawn towards death and hold back those stumbling to what? To the slaughter. If you say, surely we did not know this, we were too busy saving chickens. That's not what it says. I just threw that in there. Does not he who weighs the hearts consider it? He who keeps your soul, does he not know it? And will he not render to each man according to his what? His deeds. Now listen, being salt and light includes things like fighting against abortion. Should we stand against that? Absolutely. We are to be the world's preserving and purifying influence in that arena. Should the church be standing against sex trafficking? Yes. 
and human trafficking? Absolutely. Should the church be ministering to victims of these things? Yes, yes we should, without question. Should we be caring for the poor? Yes. Should we be visiting the sick? Yes. But we do all of those things in the name of Jesus and for His glory. That's why we're here. We're not here to save the world. We're here to save souls. Now, there's a high probability I might get fired up today, so buckle up. Here we go. You ready? Here's the second element of being salt and light, and it comes in the form of both a reminder with a hint of warning mixed in. Listen this morning. God will not empower us to do what is in opposition to His will. God will not empower us to do what it is in opposition to His will. Do you walk in, want to walk in the power of God? Well, then we need to do His will, right? He will empower us to do the things He has called us to do. So let me put some skin on this for us. It is against God's will that the government control people's lives. Amen. It is against God's will that the government provide for its citizens' needs. It is against God's will that what a person earns be given to the government for their distribution as they see fit. Now listen this morning, God is not against taxes. I didn't hear any amens at first service either, so you're good. But listen, God is not against taxes, but he is against socialism. You know how I know? It doesn't work. It has never worked in any country that has employed socialism. And when you employ God's plan, it's going to work and it's going to be a blessing to the people. After all, Psalm 33:12 says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen as his own inheritance. Proverbs 29:2 says that uh, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, the people groan. Why? Because wickedness is not what God wants to have ruling over people, especially those who have called him their Lord. Now we need to remember in Philippians 4, 19 to 20, Paul told the church at Philippi, and my God shall supply some of your need, all your need according to what? His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Somebody say, Amen. not the government shall supply all of your need. God will. God wants us to trust in him and he will neither bless nor empower things that are against his will. Now we're hearing a lot of talk today about defunding police and things of that nature, but we want to do what God says. Amen? Amen. We want to be empowered because we follow his will and thus we can receive the benefits of living according to his word. Now listen, in dealing with some of the things happening right now in our country as we sit here today and we've all been seeing it on the news or reading it in media, Romans 13, 1 through 6 gives us the facts. And we need some facts today, right? Yes. Let every soul, say every soul. Yes. Let every soul be subject to governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Now let me pause there for a moment. That doesn't mean every person in power in every country in the world was appointed by God. And it doesn't mean that God is going to appoint our next president as some Christians erringly think because Daniel 12, 21 talks about God removing kings and raising up kings. That was a word to Nebuchadnezzar. God raised you up and he can take you out. And he did. But listen, 
God's not going to change our votes on November 3rd. He's not going to stuff the ballot box on November 3rd. We're going to get the president we voted for on November 3rd. So we need to stand up and vote for the one who is closest to what it is we believe. We as the body of Christ are to be against abortion, so we don't vote for pro-abortion candidates. Amen. Amen. We are to be a benefit to our country, so we vote for the presidential candidate who wants to see our country flourish and see it continue in the blessings of God. Listen, therefore, we're told by Paul again in Romans, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on who? On themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the what? The sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices what? Evil. evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. We have to live with a clear conscience. For because of this, you also... Yeah, you can whisper it. That's okay. For, listen, they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Now, listen, there have been injustices at the hands of those who were basically paid to protect us. Right? There's been abuse. We recognize it, right? But what we seem to forget is there's injustices in every vocation of life. The fact is, there are cheating accountants. There are stealing store clerks. There are lustful and sexually harassing bosses. There are backstabbing co-workers, and the list goes on and on. There is injustice in every portion of life and disobedience in every vocation that man practices in the world. And the Holy Spirit said through Paul that law enforcement officers are God's ministers to protect the innocent from the evil, and to pay them is part of why we pay taxes. And therefore, listen this morning, to defund the police is to reject the will of God. And it will not go well for any city who defunds God's ministers in that context. Now you want to reduce the number of abusive police officers, cheating accountants, stealing store clerks, and sexually harassing bosses. Preach Christ and Him crucified because those who are saved, God changes. Amen? Now some may be thinking, well, wait a minute. Christians do rotten things too. Hello? Christians do rotten things too. They do those kind of things too. And that argument would be right. But listen this morning. Are you tuned in? Listen this morning. Christians who fail, repent. They don't defend their sin. They repent of their sin. They don't justify their actions. They're ashamed of their actions and they turn from them. And listen, we're going to be salt and light here for a moment, so buckle up. You ready? Christians don't march with Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter is a racist organization. They are anti-American. They are anti-marriage. They are anti-everything the church stands for. They are violent, and they are Marxist, and we do not March in solidarity with them. The New York Post ran an article quoting 
the president of the Greater New York Black Lives Matter chapter, Hawk Newsom is his name, and he said if our movement fails to achieve the meaningful change during nationwide protest uh, over George Floyd's killing by Minneapolis police officers, then we will burn down this system. If this country doesn't give us what we want, then we will burn down this system and we will place it. Let me remind you, this system says all men were created equal and have the same unalienable rights before God, including life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Listen, we do not stand with those who say such things and want to burn down the system that has been overrun with flawed human beings. It's not the system that's broke, it's people that are broke, and people can only get fixed when the church stands up and preaches Christ and Him crucified. Now Jesus said as He opened up the Sermon on the Mount in 43, 48, through 48 of Matthew 5, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and burn down systems you don't like. No, he says, bless those who what? Curse you, do good to those who what? Hate you and pray for those who what? And, and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. In other words, this is how Christians act. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and the good, sends rain on the just and on the unjust. That speaks of the common grace of God. God doesn't just water the field of the Christian. He waters the field of the non-believer too. Amen. The sun comes up and feeds the crops of the believer and non-believer alike because God is good and he is gracious. And Jesus goes on to say, listen, if you love those who love you, what reward of you? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? They've never had a good reputation, have they? <laughs> And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect, meaning spiritually mature and complete, just as your Father in heaven is what? Perfect. Is perfect. Now, this is what we stand for. Amen. This is what we link arms with. We don't march with those who threaten to burn this country down. We do good to those who hate us. We pray for those who spitefully use us and persecute us. And listen, when prayer is replaced with protests and riots, those who stand with them are standing against God and standing in their own strength and power. Now, James 4.4 says, Adulterers and adulteresses. Now remember, James was a Jew. He was a half-brother of the Lord. And adultery was likened unto idolatry in their language. So, and we can tell that from the next statement, Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, say whoever. Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now, does that mean we stand idly by and do nothing? Well, of course not. If things continue to digress our lives, businesses, and homes become threatened as they were in Minneapolis, Seattle, Portland, and now Kenosha, Wisconsin. We have every right under the Constitution of the United States to protect ourselves from terrorists, both foreign and domestic. Now, interesting. Senator Rand Paul and his wife, after the Republican National Convention, Trump's nomination acceptance speech were surrounded by protesters who were growing more and more violent, and Rand Paul said this to Fox News. Now, I'm not saying this because I'm a Rand Paul fan. 
I don't care who you are, the behavior I'm about to read is unacceptable. They're attempting to push the police to get over to me. So at one point they push a policeman backwards, he stumbles, He's try this is Rand Paul talking. He's trying to catch his balance and I catch the back of his flak jacket that stabilize him to make sure he's okay because he's our defense. That's biblical. That's right. He's our defense, Paul explained. If he's down, the mob is loose on us. If not for the police, Rand Paul said, we could have been killed or at the least recovering in the hospital, adding that people followed him into the hotel. Why? Because he did heinous things? No. Why? Because he practiced evil? No, because he was a Republican and he went to President Trump's acceptance speech. Paul went on to say, I truly believe with every fiber of my being that if they would have gotten us, they would have taken us to the ground. Maybe we wouldn't have been killed. Maybe we would have been just injured, injured, but we would have been kicked in the head or stomach until we were senseless. Do we stand with that with our fist in the air in solidarity? Absolutely not. We don't condone that kind of behavior. We condemn that kind of behavior. God will not bless it. And those who are acting this way are acting against his will. And standing against such behavior is why we are here and part of being salt and light. We preach Christ and him crucified to those who are acting like they're on the other team because they are. Now, I'll relax and get off the soapbox. Now, you ready to finish this up this morning? Listen, here's a reminder, a little more lighthearted, and we'll balance out the balance, uh, rest of our time in that manner. Maybe not. Listen, being salt and light is not a covert up. Being salt and light is not a covert up. Now, in Matthew 5, 13 to 16, Jesus said, which we based the title of our sermon and topic this morning on, Jesus said, you are, what's the next word? The salt, the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? In other words, you are the only purifying and preserving influence that the world has. And he said, if you lose your ability to season or uh, purify and preserve the culture around you, then you're good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Much of the church today is getting trampled by the world. Why? Because they've sided with them and they moved outside of the protections of God's will. Now, obviously, God still watches over us when we blow it. Aren't you glad for that? Boy, I know I am. Listen, then he adds this. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. See, it's not covert. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works, resulting in what? Glorifying your Father who is in heaven. Salt and light are presented as companions, and therefore what is said about light is applicable to salt. And we can see, therefore, being salt, it's like being a light to the world, like a lit city set on a hill that all can see from down below and beyond. He then presents the fact that we don't hide the light by putting it under a basket, but we put it in such a place where it is beneficial to those who are within its view so they can be exposed to its benefits. Now, in contrast to all the evil we see today, we are to let the world see our good works that God may receive glory for what he has done in us and what he is doing through us. Now, 
Listen to Revelation 19, 14, which I think we need to remember as the body of Christ today. Revelation 19, 14 says, And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on what? This is the second coming. Jesus is the first rider that goes out on a war horse and he defeats his enemies by the sword of his word or his mouth and we come with him because we were raptured before the tribulation and we come back with him at the end of it. Amen. That's more exciting than that. Thank you, honey, for that very heartfelt amen. But listen, I'm going to say something that hopefully challenges our thinking. Now, anytime I've said this, I get mail. Has anybody ever, ever had any love letters on social media? I'm sure you've all experienced that. And so listen, if you don't like what I'm about to say, my email is dlandis at cctustin.org. And you can, you can mail me there. Pastor Dave will appreciate that plug for his email address. Now listen, you ready? church is not a hospital. The church has a hospital. I should say the church has an infirmary. But let me ask you something. Are people in the hospital in the battle? What are they doing? They're laying there having their wounds cared for. Listen, we're not a bunch of defeated wimps. We're the army of God. We are the preserving and purifying influence of the world. We stand doing all to stand. We don't lay around and say, oh, my life is so awful. My life is so hard. Even when it is, we don't do that. We recognize that God is going to get us through. Yes. Amen? Amen? Now, since we are described as the army of the Lord in Revelation, we need to recognize that we're not the CIA. <laughs> we're not the Secret Service in some kind of unknown clandestine operation. We are called, listen this morning, we are called to a high-profile, visible, audible ministry of being salt and light. We need to speak up. We need to do good works for God's glory and to let truth shine into the utter darkness of the world, even if they hate us for doing it. Amen. And listen, we for too long as the body of Christ around the world have set around like we are some kind of wounded or near-death individuals when Christ is the head of the church and he's alive and we're in him then we're alive too and if he can't be defeated we can't be defeated so we don't need to take the position of defeat we need as we sang this morning to walk in victory through Christ Jesus now I don't think it's any secret that California has been leading the way in harassing the church. I'm sure most of you recognize that Orange County, uh, maybe eight, nine days ago, uh, was removed from the state's watch list because we met all the criteria to start moving toward reopening. Well, because Orange County is the heart of the recall nuisance movement, the governor just decided, well, since they met the criteria, let's change the criteria and put them back on lockdown. And that happened last Friday. But I want you to think about what's been going on in our state. First, we were told to go online, but Costco could stay open. Then we could meet, but no more than 100 people, even if your sanctuary seated thousands. Yet Walmart remained open without limitation. Then we were told, okay, you can meet, but you have to meet indoors. You can meet in, or outdoors, rather. You can meet outdoors in the summer when it's 52,000 degrees and nobody wants to go sit in the sun. 
but you can buy pot and liquor in air-conditioned comfort as long as you want. Listen, I'm beginning to think there's an agenda here that's against the church. Now, it's no time to mince words. So, for the first time, I'm just going to tell it like it is. Listen, Jesus said you're either for him or against him. And listen, if you're against him, you're not neutral. You're for the devil. There is no neutral position. There's only two teams, and they are fighting against each other. You can't say, you know, I'm just I'm taking a, a Switzerland-type position in this whole, whole thing. Listen, Jesus said, if you are not for me, then you are active in rebellion against me. And listen, we need to remember, there's a lot of folks. I, I heard... Uh, uh, something came up. I, I can't remember where the source was. It was on social media, that blessed place. But somebody kind of threw a couple of barbs at me and said, but Joe Biden says he's a Christian. Well, many will say, Lord, Lord, and he'll say, I don't even know who you are. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Christians don't support abortion. Christians don't fund abortion. Christians aren't rebellious against their government in the sense that it's being uh, uh, perpetrated now with riots and burning down private businesses of people. Listen, if you got a problem with Washington, the Constitution says you have every right to assemble peaceably and have your grievances redressed by the government. You don't have the right to burn down innocent people's towns and businesses. You don't have the right to threaten other people. Think about what's going on in our world today. This poor kid, 17 years old, in Wisconsin. Do people carry guns in Wisconsin? Well, of course they do. They hunt. It's hunting territory. People carry guns there. And this poor kid is being assaulted by BLM members. And there's a picture of him on the media on the ground, having been beaten to the ground by those who are assaulting him. And then somebody tries to kill him with their skateboard. And CNN and others said, this skateboarder is trying to stop the murderer. He wasn't trying to stop the murderer. He was trying to kill the kid. And that's why the kid drew his weapon and protected himself under the protections of the Second Amendment of these United States. Listen, 1 John 4, 2-3 says, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. Do we march with things against Christ? Do we show solidarity with things that are instead of Christ? That's what Antichrist means, instead of or against Christ. Well, listen, as we wrap things up this morning, I want to remind you of a man named Polycarp. He was a disciple of John the Beloved, the last personally discipled man that we know of, of one of the original apostles. He was the bishop of Smyrna, the second church named in the letters to the seven churches of Asia Minor. And there's a record of martyrs, and it's, this is not from Fox's Book of Martyrs, but it's from a website that contains some of the more dramatic stories of martyrdom. And Polycarp's is at the top of the list, and it says this, and I quote, Polycarp's greatest contribution to Christianity may be his death. His martyrdom stands as one of the most well-documented events of antiquity. The emperors of Rome have unleashed bitter attacks against the Christians during that period, and members of the early church recorded many of the persecutions and deaths. 
Polycarp was arrested on the charge of being a Christian, a member of a politically dangerous cult whose rapid growth needed to be stopped. Are they trying to stop the growth of the church today? Absolutely. Now listen, I'll go on and quote. Amidst an angry mob, the Roman proconsul took pity on such a gentle old man. That's the Roman proconsul's description of Polycarp. And urged Polycarp to proclaim, Caesar is Lord. If Polycarp would make this declaration and offer a small pinch of incense to Caesar's statue, he would escape torture and death. And to this, Polycarp responded, 86 years I have served Christ. And he never did me any wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who has saved me? And steadfast in his stand for Christ, Polycarp refused to compromise his beliefs, and thus he was burned alive at the stake. Listen, they're trying to get us today to replace God with the government. To say Caesar is Lord, government is our provider, and to that we say, after God has saved me through the blood of his own son, how can I blaspheme him by bowing to the wishes of the government to replace God? Amen. He never wronged me. How can I blaspheme the king who has saved me? Amen. Listen, it's almost time for our trip. Yes. It's almost time. But there's much to be done before we go home. We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. We're not here on a covert op. We're here to shout from the rooftops, Jesus is Lord, and whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Somebody say amen. amen. And Father, we are grateful for your word this morning. We are thankful, Lord, for the things we can find tucked away for such a time as this to equip us as saints for the work of ministry in this last moment of church history until you come to take us home. Thank you, Lord, that you told us, as you said to Peter, that you would build the church upon his first gospel sermon and the gates of Hades would not prevail against it. And we thank you for this reminder today. And Lord, I pray also for all of us that we would begin to see ourselves as being in you with the mind of Christ, empowered by the Spirit of the living God, who can do all things through Christ, who will strengthen us. Instead of a group sitting around, wounded, incapacitated, unable to engage the adversary, tucked away in some hospital somewhere, and not able to get to the fight. Help us, Lord, to see us as your army, not your infirmary. And we thank you, Lord, for your healing touch that comes on our lives and your restoration to us of strength and power that we can do all things for your glory and in your name that others may see our good works and glorify you, our Father in heaven. So help us, Lord, to be bold in these closing moments. Help us to remember who we are and what you called us to. And Lord, help us certainly not to link arms with things that are against you and to stand up recognizing their abuses in every aspect of life and to cry out against them too. But to recognize, Lord, that you have put ordinances in place for our protection and we are to work within them and receive that which is best for us as a, a people and nation. So we thank you, Lord, that you have promised to bless the nation whose God is the Lord. We thank you, Lord, that when the righteous are in authority, the people will rejoice. So help us, Lord, to be wise in such times as these.
to remain the salt of the earth and the light of the world, for there is no other source according to you to purify this world, to preserve it, and to enlighten it, and share it the truth. Share with it the truth, Lord. So we thank you for our time together today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people agree by saying, Amen. Amen. Hey, it's a great time to be alive. Yes. Amen. It's a fantastic time to be alive. You know, even though Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, in the last days, perilous times will come. We're in the last days. Yeah. No, that's not a matter of debate. The Bible says in the last days, God has spoken to us uh, through his son. So the Bible says we're in the last days. Now, last days have been going on for 2,000 years. Right. So we've got to be in the last minutes, yeah. right? Yeah. So, listen, there's only one way, even now, to be saved just as it was true at the beginning of church history and that is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus said you must be born again. It's not there's there's other options. Find a religion that works for you and follow that. No. That's not biblical. Jesus said cast every other religion aside and follow after me. Put down the stuff that you're pursuing in life and follow after me. That's what he called the disciples to do. His invitation was simple. He said, "Follow me." And we're told with the initial disciples, the two pair of fishermen brothers, they left their nets and followed him. In other words, that was a lesson for us. We're not really giving up anything to follow Jesus except for hell. I want to give that up, don't you? And therefore, if he said you must be born again, then you must be born again. And if you're not born again, let me assure you, that, you know, a lot of people, I've had this question, I don't even know how many times, you've probably had it. Most of us have thought it at some point or another. Am I really saved? How can I know that I'm saved? Well, the Bible says in Ephesians 1.13 that God gives us his spirit as a down payment of our future inheritance. If you have the Holy Spirit, you know you're going to heaven. That doesn't mean you never mess up. Where did you go? That doesn't mean you never mess up. But that means when you mess up, you get up and you don't stay down. And listen, I, I shared with first service. It just popped in my head and, and uh, that happens sometimes. I, actually, I have thoughts once in a while. I was just thinking as I was sharing with first service how radically God changed my life. And he changed my desires. And you know, that's what repentance means. Repentance means to change the mind. And some would say, that means you change your mind about God. Well, that's where it starts, true. But listen, when your mind changes about God, your life changes too. You don't keep doing what you used to do. Listen, I, I remember days uh, of drunkenness and drug abuse and all kinds of things that, that took place in my life. And God took those things from me. And he changed me. And listen, I, as I was telling first service, you know, I, I literally got drunk every single day. And when I would wake up sober at one or two in the morning, you know what I was thinking about? What time I could get up and start drinking again. I drank every single day, every day. I drank at work. I drank while I was driving. Thank you, Jesus, I never hurt anybody. He's merciful, amen? But you know what? I, when I gave my life in earnest to Christ, I, you know, I had asthma. I, I've had asthma since I was six, so I took up smoking to cure it. <laughs> but when I repented of my sin, the cigarettes were gone in a moment. The drugs were gone in a moment. Now, I had to fight for my freedom from alcohol. 
And I would go for a time period where I would stay sober sometimes for months. And then I would pick up a bottle, I'd swing by the liquor store or whatever, I'd have some excuse to buy a bottle of black velvet and I'd start sucking on a whiskey bottle, it was a baby bottle once again. And sometimes that would last for a day or two, sometimes it would last for longer than that. And then you know what happened? I lost my salvation. No, I didn't lose my salvation. You know what happened? The Spirit of the Lord would continue to hound me and hound me and hound me. And then I would stop, say, forgive me, Jesus, for picking up this booze again. Help me never to do it again. Listen, this process went on for four years. Four years. I was sober and drunk. Sober and drunk. But I'll tell you one thing. When that final whiskey bottle was thrown in the trash and beer can was thrown away. Ever since a point in time where the Lord said, stop it, son. And I said, he said, he did. He said, he said, or else. I said, what do you mean, or else? Or else I'll bring you home. I said, no, no, I won't stay here and uh, raise my family, be a good dad since I messed up for so long. And you know, Ever since that moment and that final, uh, it was actually a little bit more lengthy conversation. You know, I said, Lord, help me quit drinking. He said, I did. You're the one that keeps drinking. And he said, stop it, son, or else stop it. And I did. And that's been, geez, almost two months. No, it's been. <laughs> 38 years. 38 years. And listen, back to that hospital thing. I don't sit around saying, boy, I hope I don't drink today. I can walk down the booze aisle and say, get behind me, Satan. You have me once, you'll never have me again. I have no desire for that stuff. There's no temptation. I don't fight to stay sober every day. I'm a new creation in Christ. I kept going back to vomit like a dog. It wasn't God leading me there. I was choosing to do that. And as soon as I stopped choosing to do that, the urge went away. And there's never been a battle since. And listen, when you change your mind about God, He changes your life. And if you haven't seen a life change, if you haven't turned from darkness to light, you're going to know it. And if you haven't had that moment, have it today. And here's what I want you to do. Some of our elders will be up here. You can come up and pray for other reasons or be pray, uh, prayed over for other reasons. But listen, if you need to get your life right with Christ so you don't go to hell, first of all. Secondly, so you don't miss the great escape. You need to get things corrected with the Father right here, right now. Jesus paid it all, all to him you owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. Give your life to Christ today. Submit your life to him as Lord. It's something you will never, never, never regret having done. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand.